Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. So first question is, what are you preaching on in... January 2024. Looks like it's probably going to be uh, 1 Samuel. I doubt we'll be in 2 Samuel by that point. <laughs> you already know, really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at least that's the plan. I could be upset in my in my strategery. I didn't think he had that plan that far. Yeah, I mean, it's a, lo- a loose plan, obviously. It's okay. not like a... Uh, it's not like... You know, but that will be the second book you preached it. <laughs> Tusc- Emmanuel Tuscaloosa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, so I you're doing you're doing Matthew repeat right now. Yeah, yeah. Re- right? Redux Matthew again. Yeah, yeah. I, this is these are the lessons that I learned and cycling back through. No, uh, I did. So I started with Colossians when I came here. Then knew I was going to go to Matthew after that then finished Matthew and now we're going through Philippians hmm. and then after this uh, the plan is first and second Samuel hmm. so what about you you're you've been in you've been in revelation for 18 years and preached five <laughs> sermons I think it was what was it six on, six sermons I'm on the other side of that spectrum I don't know this is the uh, w- one of the times in in my ministry at Millwood where I am coming up closest to needing to know what I'm going to preach next, and I don't and I don't know yet. So mm-hmm. Revelation is going to end in May. We will probably not start a new long book at least in the summer. So what we are going to start in the fall, I don't I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. That's on my to do list the next couple of weeks to sit down and. Decide, maybe talk with some other guys uh, in our church, elders, staff, and see uh, is there something that we need to hear this season of our church. Mm. I don't know. When you select a book, do you then, are you like, you're obviously not very committed to that book, as is what we're seeing in Revelation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we we don't have any other, we don't have a regular Sunday night preaching ministry. So, oh, I have always been pretty eager, not pretty eager, willing to break off from whatever the, the book series is that we're preaching to focus on Easter or Christmas or every January we do a church focus. We, so we focus on something in the purpose of our church uh, or we focus on a subject is what we did last year, this year. So uh, so that, that can elongate sermon series mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, and preaching through books. Um, I don't know if that's the best practice or not, but it it works fine. I think it's interesting. Like I I don't I don't take I don't approach it like um like we have normally through holidays I've just continued preaching the same mm-hmm. for the most part book. So like you mm-hmm. get I get to Easter and unless I'm transitioning from one place to another, uh-huh. then I just keep going through the same book mm-hmm. and just. And I tell people that are there for Easter, yeah. this is what we do every Sunday, you yeah. know. And so this is 
it's special in some sense. It's not mm-hmm. special in other senses. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we Easter impacts our whole calendar. Yeah. It impacts every every Sunday that we yeah. meet together. And so, uh, we typically just I just continue preaching through. That said, I have broken away mm-hmm. and have preached an Easter message mm-hmm. on the resurrection or whatever. But like the norm is, we're going to go through a book of the Bible, mm-hmm. and then after, like in the process of that, if I feel like, well, we need this particular series to understand what's even happening in this book, or mm-hmm. why these things are necessary, or whatever. Like I did mm-hmm. a church series, I did mm-hmm. a worship series. Um, I, you know, I will break away and I will do those, which can, mm-hmm. like you say, elongate series. But normally, yeah. the the approach is like slow roll through passages. Yeah. We're, we are taking actually four weeks for Easter this year out of Revelation again. <laughs> so, so, and there's, there's, there's two reasons. Uh, one is... Because uh, Revelation's really hard and you don't want to have to uh, preach it. <laughs> well, we have, we've done both over the years. Probably maybe 50-50, 60-40. We have, um, you know just preach through the book that we're preaching straight through Easter um, and other years we've taken off um, almost to have an, an Advent-like season, you know, versus a, a, a more purely Lent kind of season. So, you know, preach up to Easter, focusing on Easter and its meaning. For us also, we've done this different years, and I think it's an important year for us to do it in our church, is focus on outreach. So we're coming off the fourth wave big wave of COVID and more people in our church, more people in our city. We had one in three people testing positive daily going through like January, February timeframe. So, you know, coming out of that season, going into the spring, we're having a focus for four weeks on Easter. We're preaching kind of alongside the book, Who is Jesus by Greg Gilbert. We have tracks and books of that book, Who is Jesus by Greg Gilbert for our members to hand out. All of those books have an insert in them with our Easter information. So we're just we're trying to encourage evangelism. We're using the preaching. We're using the gathering. Um, we, 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 we ought to, and we do encourage this regularly, uh, but especially with coming out of COVID, coming into Easter, that's what, that's what we're doing. So we're, we're preaching four sermons. And some of that just has to do with who's going to be in town certain weeks in April uh, together for the gospel. There's a couple of calendar things that made us do four weeks of that versus like two. So there's there's a lot of factors that go into those kinds of decisions, but that's kind of what we're doing in and around Easter. And then we'll come back and finish Revelation, uh, God willing, at the end of May is the plan when that would be done. <laughs> so so how long... And I have you- full confidence that it will be it will end in May. How how long will you have been in Revelation? No, no, no. How many sermons will you have preached in Revelation by the time you're done? Uh, I think when I'm done, it's going to be around 40 or 45. I have to go back and check. Is it see. that many? I think so, because I that many, I started last year. Didn't it take you, well, time-wise, we know that. <laughs> it could be less. I, I don't remember. I, I mean, I counted the other day. I went through your website and I counted the other day and it was so like why, why, why don't 15, you tell me? It was like fifteen sermons so far, and you're you were through like chapter twenty, I think, or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did. Uh, I mean, I preached through each one of the letters one by one, 
Uh, and then and one of them you preached twice. Some of the last section, uh, the last sections I've preached way bigger chunks, which I think is how the book is broken down. Uh, so naturally, yeah. <laughs> so, 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 and how? And so, like, let's say, let's say it was thirty sermons that you end up with in Revelation. How long will it have taken you to preach Revelation, like calendar wise? Uh, so I started February, twenty twenty one. And 30 sermons later, you're in May 2022 and finished? You're counting right now. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> How many was it? Something, it's going to be something close to 30, 32, I think. All right. 30, <laughs> that was a quick count. 32 sermons-ish, <clears throat> and it takes you 15 months? Mm-hmm. So do, is there a concern? Honest question. Seriously. Is there a concern that, like, the message of Revelation gets sort of lost in the back and forth, this and that that we that you're picking up along of course. the way. Yeah, when we picked back up into Revelation a couple of weeks ago, I myself was like, "Oh, good grief!" Yeah, <laughs> we got to catch up. So I took five or ten minutes on the front end of that to just rehash uh, how Revelation works. A couple of things that we picked up in Revelation. So that we can jump back in and see. So, so what do you feel like is the are the advantages and disadvantages to doing that? Going through a calendar year, having a book that you're kind of like is sort of your, I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but yeah. the book is your like fallback, like Revelation would be kind of like your fallback. And then you're launching off into other things as yeah. needs arise. Is there are what are the advantages of that? What are the disadvantages of that? Yeah, I think the the disadvantage is the book being seen as a whole, um, uh, as a whole unit and being understood that way. I haven't been too worried about that because, uh, especially Revelation has demanded that I kind of keep up an ongoing. This is how this is all working, so that it makes sense. Period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's not too bad. Um, the that's a that's a probably the major backdraw. Um, the the other backdraw would be drawback, dra- drawback, whatever. <laughs> yeah, reverse flow. So the an- another one might be that uh, our church develops the understanding that God's word isn't always sufficient and providentially in time. That I'm just kind of picking and choosing. Well, we don't. We need revelation now, but now we don't need it. Now we do need it, and there's that kind of understanding of scripture and preaching mm-hmm. that would be a drawback. Um, the benefit is the pastoral aspect of this is going on in our church. We want to speak specifically to this. The the break that we take in January, we take every January. We if we don't use that time to switch from one book yeah. to another, it's a it's part of our calendar every year in yeah. January. To preach on our church focus. Right, right. So that's a natural break in itself that teaches the centrality yeah. of we're always doing the same thing every year. We always come back to our church purpose. Um, that's normal. So uh, that doesn't feel like, I just felt like we should talk about uh, marriage this week because yeah. I felt like it. There, Even the breaks are intentional. Uh, you know, a, a break for summer, a break for January for church purpose, a break for Easter or Christmas. These are natural breaks and rhythms that are walking along with 
uh, our, our, our church calendar that we decide or what, what's going on in, in, our, in our lives. So it provides an opportunity to be pastoral to our church about what we're talking about, to uh, be a little bit more responsive to our congregation, what, what I'm hearing is going on, what I'm feeling is going on, um, and either choice of preaching or how I, how I preach a passage. So there's, there's those kinds of pluses to it. Uh, but it's it's kind of a dance. I don't know that I've always been happy with how I've yeah, you know, decided to do that. So is there so is there ever a point where you feel like, or what is the point when a pastor in preaching that way, where you've got the book that you kind of fall back on, then the sermon series that you jump off on, where that becomes just a topical approach mm-hmm. to Sunday morning? Like I think Spurgeon is is notorious for mm-hmm. having. I don't. I can't, couldn't quote him, but mm. ha- having said something to the effect of, you know, deciding what to preach, you know, on a week in week out basis through mm-hmm. prayer and you know meditation. Yeah, he talks about in like his that. lecture to his students. He he says to kind of get down in the Bible, and you read and pray and you study until you get. I think he his illustration is until you get hooked by something, and it won't let go of you. Yeah. And then that's what you preach that week. Yeah. Uh, and this is the prince of preachers. Sure. I mean, yeah. He he was not known for preaching through books, right, uh, or series. Yeah. Uh, so maybe we're all doing it wrong. <laughs> well, yeah. That's the that's kind of the question, right? Is like, are we all doing it wrong? Because, yeah. um, you know, we have we have probably in maybe more reform circles, but yeah. in in a lot of in a lot of circles, I think the pattern has been or the emphasis has been take a book, mm-hmm. work through it. Mm-hmm. That's your goal as a preacher and then you know the sermon series the topical is sporadic it doesn't need to be i think some pastors have put it the regular diet of the church yeah and i think most have have argued here recently that that is that should be the mo of Mm -hmm. of a pastor a certain camp of I, i think the mo most often today is like series with a logo oh sure yeah series with you know six weeks on this four weeks on this there's an idea that um you know how long how how many sermons did you preach matthew how long uh oh wait it was a hundred and like 34 sermons and it took probably like three years three and a half years maybe four years so yeah you just lost most people like the sixth week right is that what happened at your church? What do you mean? Did you just lose people, or did people track and follow along? Uh, I mean, you know, I think well, the idea is we were a whole different group by the time we got to the end. I mean, like, <laughs> like, like your church changes, especially yeah. coming here, the yeah. you know, new pastor and things like that. Yeah. The church changes so much in the first, you know, five. I think 10 the years. idea out, there's an idea out there that the attention span is like four or six weeks. Right, you know, right, I'm coming right. for this, and then I need something else to get me back the next four or six weeks. And then right. I need I need another topic that's relevant to my life to get me back to church for the next th- two or three weeks. You know, and so I'm constantly right. in these uh, series that are kind of keeping me going, and it, that in itself, and I, and I hear it as a caution to myself, is an undermining of just the regular sufficiency of Scripture. Right, and I think some of the benefits for preaching through the whole, and we've talked a lot about this in Revelation. The benefit for preaching through a book of the Bible is you preach the whole counsel of God's word. Right. So Paul tells the the uh, the church in Ephesus, Acts twenty, he's leaving. He says, "There's no blood on my hands because I did. I preached the whole counsel of God's word." 
yeah. but I didn't, I didn't hold it back. And it's really hard to do that when your topics are marriage and parenting and evangelism and good things. Right. Um, but then you just leave out stuff. You just right. don't preach all of it. So I do. That's an it's an important emphasis, and it is, I think, uh, an an increased emphasis uh, in our our kind of current time and context where the goal is one 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 out practical outworking of the sufficiency of Scripture, an outworking of the inerrancy of, of all Scripture, the inspiration of all Scripture, is to preach all of Scripture. Yeah. So when you go to work on your calendar, my my calendar for the year isn't always fifty two weeks of a book. Yeah. So I've got series. Well, you know, this year we may or may not do Easter, but the regular diet is what book are we going to do next? Yeah. As I'm thinking about what's after Revelation, I'm not thinking first what series do we need? How are we doing? What's the weak spot in our church? And let's let's do a let me, you know, do a diagnosis and then I'll go to scripture and pick some things that I think would be helpful to do that. The MO is what book is next. Right. Now there's some pastoral aspects to that. Uh, you know, maybe we need to go through the Psalms and increase our praise and affection and worship for a season. Maybe we ought to be going through uh, Isaiah to understand the prophetic meaning of uh, Christ and the people of Israel. Um Ezekiel, we need to know what it means to know the Lord and uh, have a, a high regard for His glory. Um, but it, it's mostly, what book am I going to preach next mm-hmm. uh, uh, for the sake of the church? And we tend to go flop back Old Testament, New Testament. So we've been in Revelation um, pretty certain whatever we do next is going to be Old Testament. Yeah. That's, I think, been the biggest concern for me is like when we come in, my, my uh, one of the reasons going to first and second Samuel is not only because it's fresh on my mind, I've done some work in it, but um, but also because we've been in the New Testament since yeah. I've been here. Yeah, you know, we've been in the Old Testament on Wednesday nights, we've, yeah. been, we've been doing some Old Testament work. But one thing that I fear I'm communicating is here, these 27 books are really important, these 39 are mm-hmm. not as important. Yeah, which is which is a problem, and I don't yeah. I don't want that to be the case, and so we're going to spend another <clears throat> several years in the Old Testament mm. talking about the br- the the jumping off point, mm-hmm. like where this where the Old Testament transitions to the New, mm-hmm. and how some of the things that we've seen in Matthew and things like that are the fruition of what we saw be- mm-hmm. what we see beginning in First and Second Samuel, mm-hmm. and so you know I'm I think um, it's it's fundamental to our growth that we're able to look at the whole counsel of God like you're saying and and mm-hmm. be able to um, not only teach it to our people but that our people revere it and come to to love it yeah and cherish even the Old Testament books that are somewhat hard to understand or perhaps yeah. are further removed from our culture mm-hmm. um, so uh, so then is there an issue with topical preaching like yes. I mean if what makes what if you were sitting down with Spurgeon now and you were hashing out the differences mm-hmm. between uh, what is it like the Odavina the preaching mm-hmm. straight through the word and and mm-hmm. then um, and and versus his approach mm-hmm. what would you say uh, I probably wouldn't say much. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I would hope I would just be quiet and just just let him talk, just let him go, you know. Um, by the end, you would be convinced that his yeah, way was By the this. end, yes, I'm just going to be in prayer for this week's sermon. I'm going to cancel the rest of Revelation. <laughs> We're never going to finish it. We're just going week by week. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't think. But the thing is, I don't think Spurgeon was. He wasn't topical. He was. He was just. He just wasn't preaching through books of the Bible. There's a, a big difference between. I have a topic, and I think we should talk about this. I'm going to go to the Bible mm. and find where uh, where it talks about that, which is really dangerous. That's right. how people get in all kinds of weird stuff. You, you start reading the Bible like Mormons read the Bible when right. you do that. Right, right. Spurgeon was reading through Scripture, studying Scripture. I mean, one practice that he had was uh, for some time was to read, if I remember, it was could, could have been someone else, read Scripture, uh, the same passage every single day. And meditate on that every single day. And at the end of the week, if he felt like I, I have kind of, you know, wrung out this sponge, then he would do another passage the next week. Mm. Uh, and if not, he would do the same passage for another week. Yeah. So he's in the Word, trying to get the Word to tell him what to preach, and he's praying in the Holy Spirit, asking to see what in the Word should I be preaching this week, as he's studying the Word. And in fairness to him, it, it, I mean, to his credit, I should say, the sermon then is an overflow of his own work in the Word. Yeah, his and own study. just yeah, his own it's study, a, his own love for the Word, really. Yeah, yeah. So even it like starts with the Word rather than kind of my perceived need uh, uh, out out there, or even what I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me to to say, and then I go, I just I'm starting from scratch. I don't know. I've got Genesis to Revelation here. I feel like I'm supposed to be, uh, you know, talking about faith. So where do I go? Well, I go to I go to David and Goliath, and I talk about David's faith. And I, and then now we're 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 jumping in, and we're we're missing points of passages, right? Because we started from outside, we come in rather than the text telling us uh, what it says, yeah. right? Um, so if if the David and Goliath story isn't really about David's faith, right? Then you, or in, it, in the immediate way that you think it it might be, you right? Know, David had faith, so so should you. Yeah, conquer your giants, right? That kind of thing. Yep. Um, Those sermons are still being preached. I heard one two weeks ago. Yeah. So if if so, the danger then in topical preaching is that you you end up selecting passages uh-huh. that don't mean that thing. Yeah. I, I heard. I, I remember hearing a sermon on procrastination. Mm-hmm out of uh, Paul's trial with Agrippa, mm-hmm. how Agrippa put things off day to day. Yeah. And that was a you know, the prohibition against procrastination. Yeah. And that's definitively not what Luke is yeah. writing that about. Yeah. And it seems pretty obvious that, that yeah. Paul refuses to pay a bribe. Yeah. And the Jews did pay a bribe. Paul yeah. remains innocent under trial while the Jews are, are very guilty. And so you end up preaching the meaning of a passage mm-hmm. because you wanted it to mean that and it's a mm-hmm. good illustration yeah. but that's just it right the bible then becomes an illustration yeah. for your text yeah. for whatever it is that you're wanting to yep. say yeah i kind of feel like you know i'm i'm not spurgeon as a preacher that's one of the things any you, you learn in baptist colleges a lot people will tell you you're not spurgeon don't yeah. try to be spurgeon don't try to even be mark dever don't try to be anybody you be yourself and for me, I have felt like preaching through books of the Bible is like 
uh, preaching with training wheels. It's like put put the guardrails down on the bowling lane, yeah. so that I can have a better chance at getting a strike. It yeah. it actually serves me as a pastor, and then ends up serving our church because we're really close to the meaning, the contextual meaning of the text every single week. And so it's because I don't want to trust myself and I don't want to uh, just kind of you know open up the Bible, flip to a page and see you know what happens today. Um, it's for those purposes that I'm you know preaching through the books of the Bible. It's like a guard. It keeps me in mm-hmm. into understanding the scripture and preaching the scripture uh, in in terms of what it's actually saying, what Paul actually meant by his letter. Um, so it, it's actually it's actually an, it's, uh, it's weird it's a, this is prideful to say but it's an admittance of weakness it's an admittance of helplessness yeah. it's an admittance that I would be very tempted to get excited about points in the passage that aren't even there yeah like I would I would do that right it's not that I'm the faithful one and other people preach topical it's like no I I would jump to conclusions so easily in passages out of my own excitement my own carelessness uh, my not having much time this week. Right. Um, so it's a guard for me. And then once I get to, let's say I get to Revelation uh, 17 last week. I don't sit down this week for the first time to read Revelation 17, study the context of Revelation 17, so that I can try to figure out what in the world Revelation 17 is even saying, so right. then I can form a sermon so I can go preach it. Now, I've been studying Revelation 17 and its context, in a sense, for a year. Yeah. So when I wake up and I, I and go... And time before that, too. And the, the sermon before that, which is the text before. So, you know, using your simian trust, you're always looking at passages before and after your sure. passage to relate them. So I've already looked at it to some degree. Uh, so I've I just significantly increased my chances that I am getting closer, yeah. as close as possible, to saying what it says about the things it says it's talking about rather than uh, just kind of thinking, well, this seems to be what it's talking about this week and then I kind of write my own sermon. Right. And it's wonderfully freeing. Yeah. Right? Like if you're if you're a five-year-old and you're, you're bowling and they put the guardrails down, you're really thankful. Yeah. <laughs> it's, real, it's really good for the you. The game actually becomes fun. Yes. <laughs> So it's it's such a it's such a help and, and I feel that when I'm preaching my quote unquote topical sermons, it's much harder. Yeah. Oh, it's much harder. It's like for who is Jesus, uh, the four weeks uh, of and during Easter, before and during Easter, we've got four questions that we're going to be answered each week in coordination with the book that we're handing out. So, you know, this uh, trying to help create a culture of being intentional about evangelism and, and all these things. Uh, but I know that's going to be harder. Yeah much harder to prepare a sermon because it will feel like um, I, I will not as immediately and as easily feel close to whatever text I'm preaching. It's going to take more work uh-huh. to make sure that I that I do that. Yeah. I, th- I think um, through the book of Matthew, you know, it took us for probably about four years total. We broke for a couple of sermon series and things like that. But the th- the thing that I found, I know me. If I took if I took Spurgeon's approach mm-hmm. to preparing a sermon, mm-hmm. I I know that I would sit down on Monday 
and I would begin reading. And the whole thing, in my mind, it wouldn't be reading for my own edification. Mm-hmm. In my mind, it would be, okay, what am I going to preach? Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. But what am I going to preach? What am I yeah. going to preach? And that would constantly be the nagging thought. Yeah. Whereas if I know going into a week, yeah. this is what I'm going to preach. Yeah. And this is the passage that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I read the passage maybe. And I've been studying the passage and I've read through it and things like mm-hmm. that. But I read the passage and I'm like... I don't know what I'm going to do with that. Yeah. Inevitably, yeah. every single week, I sit down. I mean, it hap- it's, it's happens probably 99% of the time. I sit down with a passage, and I'm like, what possibly could this have to say to an entire congregation and to me? Mm-hmm. And by the end of the week, I'm thinking, how can I possibly fit all this in into the time that we have mm-hmm. You know, that morning? Because yeah. it's a week of study that eventually your cup begins to kind of overflow. Mm-hmm. And so I would say the effect of what's happening ver- our way versus Spurgeon's way or whatever mm-hmm. is is really the same product. Mm-hmm. You're being worked by the Word. Mm-hmm. And the prayer is always, this needs to work me first before it could ever possibly work the congregation. Mm-hmm. And... You know, but but what you also see, I think, in mm-hmm. like in our study in Matthew, is that you start to get a feel of where Matthew is going with all of this, mm-hmm. and and my like when it comes to sermon series, I sort of there's a there's a marriage that I try to kind of put together is I've got a book that I'm going to go through, and mm-hmm. I kind of try to take the main running chorus mm-hmm. throughout that. Uh, what what I think Simeon Trust refers to as the melodic line mm-hmm. that kind of goes throughout that book yeah. and really hang the sermon series on that. Yeah. So in, in my estimation, and I probably, I mean, some of it is going to be directed at our congregation. Like this is what I know we need mm-hmm. and this is part of that melodic line. And so we're mm-hmm. going to focus more on that. Like um, we're going through Philippians right now and, and I've titled that series through Philippians um Christ-centered, the Christ-centered life, mm-hmm. because every passage Paul's coming back to the consideration of what Jesus Christ did mm-hmm. and how that impacts the life of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, his prayer for their growth in Christ, his mm-hmm. a living for Christ and dying gain because he is with Christ. That mm-hmm. it, it is. God that works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, then consider Christ in your humility to others. And Mm -hmm. so he hangs everything on this just Christ-centeredness to the life of the Christian and how it impacts every aspect of the church body. Mm -hmm. And he's grateful for that in the Philippians and correcting some of that too, I think. Um, So some of that is, and I told the church, you know, coming out of Matthew what is what is the the result of Matthew of having of Jesus having established his kingdom and mm-hmm. having created his church mm-hmm. so that the gates of hell will not stand against it he says mm-hmm. um, having instilled in instilled in the apostles an idea of church discipline an idea of membership an idea of um, you know what their mission is mm-hmm. and all of those kinds of things now what what does it look like flash forward 30 years and you've got churches out there that have been planted by these apostles what is it that they're saying look you have to take these things with you and apply them mm-hmm. and this is how they work themselves out mm-hmm. and so um, that's kind of you know yeah. the approach for us has been like how, how are we how, how do we get here 
You know, how do we get to this place and what kind of people do we actually have to be in light of the Gospel of Matthew? So I think for, for us, there's, a, there's an effect of like what a lot of pastors use those sermon series for. But the, the, what I would say is all of that can be driven by the Word. Mm-hmm. The Word will drive that. Yeah. I mean, it's not as though the book of Matthew yeah. or Philippians or even First and Second Samuel doesn't apply to church membership. Yeah. You know, or that it doesn't, that it's not going to have something to say yeah. about, you know, salvation through, by, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Mark Dever has been known to say uh, you can find church membership in every chapter in the Bible. Well, of course. Yeah. So, of course, if anyone could, he could find it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if it's there. But yeah, I, I think now that as you talked about that, it just made me realize too, when we, we've talked different building blocks over the years about Bible study and meditation. Building blocks being your Sunday school, Sunday school yeah, version yeah. of education. That's the same, way, same thing. So we have, so when you think about scripture, it talks to us, I mean, the first thing Psalms tells us uh, to do in regards to the word of God is that the, the man who is blessed meditates on the word day and night. And we talk a lot about the idea that Scripture having its effect on us isn't just an information transfer. Right. It isn't just, you know what, I need four weeks on this. Uh, I need four YouTube sessions. I need four counseling sessions. I need six weeks on this to get the information, and then I'll go do it, and then we'll move on to the next topic. Yeah. Which is basically every marriage sermon series I've ever heard has been that. And spiritual growth doesn't happen only like that it it's more uh like steeping tea it's more like clay on the spinning wheel where it's it's a it's a longer shaping process so one of the other benefits of being in revelation when you're preaching like you talked about the melodic line you're kind of preaching the same thing for a year yeah you and revelation is and i I was afraid of this going into revelation and it can be the same in any book is if you're not careful, it just sounds like you're preaching the same thing every week. Right. And so you have to get down into the text and realize what's unique about this passage as it relates to the whole book versus um, uh, saying like you're saying, this, you know, every week Jesus wins. Jesus wins. What's the sermon title this week? Jesus wins again. Yeah. <laughs> Revelation 18, right? Uh, Revelation 20, Jesus wins this time. Yeah. But and, this is it, guys, for real. Yeah, yeah. This is the last time. <laughs> <laughs> so Sid, it, it puts you in a place where you it actually starts it works on the heart over time. Uh, I think there's a belief about how quickly do people change on what level and uh, and information transfer is not the singular goal by any stretch of, of or nor is it the meaning of what it means to preach. Yeah. Preaching is not, you know, by definition me giving you some information this week. It's heart work. It's transformation. It's, it's appetite changes, right? It's taste changing over time. You know, like if you if but you that's have a, that's the but that's the whole premise of Christianity. Is it is information, one, mm-hmm. in that it's news. 
It mm. is the good news. It is yeah. information conveyed from one person to another. Yeah. But the news is not supposed to be informational. It's supposed to be transformational. Yeah. It's a similar kind of thing that if somebody, I use this example quite a bit. If you're sitting on your couch and somebody comes into your house and says your yard is on fire, mm-hmm. what happens because of that news? Mm-hmm. It transforms you from sitting on the couch mm-hmm. to running and grabbing a fire extinguisher or a water hose or whatever and, and putting out the fire. It, it, the information that's conveyed is mm-hmm. meant to transform. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's the, the miss when we're like, look, here's, here's maybe 10, th- 10 parenting approaches mm-hmm. that are, are good and sound. Not only do they come from the head often of the pastor and mm-hmm. he's looking for verses that really don't advocate for that or mm-hmm. say that, um, and it, so that, that's one thing, but it's not a kind of transformational news. Mm-hmm. You walk home and you think, you think about like these various steps that I need to take, but you listen to this other guy and he gives 10 of the exact opposite steps that you need to take. Mm-hmm. And there's all these different parenting philosophies. And now you're mm-hmm. just pursuing one philosophy after another mm-hmm. and your performance is evaluated based on how well you do mm-hmm. that day. And that's not at the heart what we're what we're looking for. And I think you know, as we studied Matthew, you started to get this momentum, kind of like you're saying. You started to pick up on the melodic line. Every sermon I would preach, I would go back and in some way summarize where we've been. Mm-hmm. So it may be the first three chapters are saying this, the next few chapters are saying this, the next few chapters are saying this, mm-hmm. and then now we're here, you know, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Or it might be a detailed, yeah. remember what we said last week, that's important for this week. But it was a, there, there's always this kind of reaching back, and by the end, you're starting to see that, yes, you you are saying very similar things, but it's because you're on a, you're on a track. And Matthew is actually taking you somewhere. He has an end goal in mind. And I think that's an incredibly important to understand, you know, and obviously that's, I think every book I'm using Matthew because I'm most familiar with it. But, yeah. but I mean, you can see pretty clearly in the middle of that book where Peter makes his confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, it's not flesh and blood that's revealed this, but my Father in heaven. Mm-hmm. That is a pivotal moment Everything in the changes. book. Everything changes after that. Yeah. It is, and he, he even says, he starts to disclose himself more freely after Peter makes that confession. Yeah. He starts to give to them the keys of the kingdom. He starts to explain to them church, the way the yeah. church is going to function and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so you, you, you start to realize that like, okay, every sermon has been a lot of the same things. But it has progressed me one, what are those wooden slats in the track? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's you're, one, mm-hmm. you're one little wooden slat closer, yeah. you know, to the end. And it's incremental increases all yeah. the way to the end. Yeah, and so you, you, you end up preaching the book as a whole every week. Yeah. In the sense that you're preaching what, what we refer to the, the melodic line, the main... The thing about this, you know, so you've got like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're not just copies of each other. Right. They're all, it, it's a wonderful kind of uh, tapestry. You know, tapestry of different versions of the same story that say different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't mean they disagree. It means they're, you know, different brushstrokes in the same painting or something like that. The, uh, but that, that interpretation of preaching through the whole book means you don't just... If you can't say how your passage 
gets to Matthew 16 or gets back to Matthew 16. Or as I'm preaching this week uh, here, gets to Ephesians 1 or goes back to uh, Ephesians 4, uh, verse 1, the calling to which you've been called. Then you don't, we don't fully understand the, that the point of that passage because it's connected to the whole point of the whole letter. Mm-hmm. I think one example, we should put this on the schedule we'll talk about, and I think you've taught about deacons recently at your church on Wednesday nights, and uh, Acts 6 is kind of the first deacon passage in the New Testament. And I think that's a good example. I, in my own mind, I'm working this out, some of my own thinking over time, of how we misuse passages like Acts 6 about deacons. And we, we think, hey, there's deacons. So uh, where do we let's, let's word search deacons. We find the word deacon in Acts 6 and we turn it into you know the manual for deacons forever. Mm-hmm. And I think those things are there. But the larger point of deacons in Acts 6 is not necessarily this is how Paul never says or Luke never says, excuse me, this is how all deacons should be found and formed and tasked forever. Yeah, it's notably absent. Rather, there's a big problem. The Word has to go on. The Spirit-empowered, unstoppable Word, Acts 1-8, has to go on. And one of the things the church is going to find as an opposition is not just the government, it's not just the religious parties, uh, but our own need to have ministers dedicated to the Word only. Mm. And that's what Acts 6 is about. Mm. So it significantly changes the way we understand what is described and what is prescribed in the book of Acts 6. And those are things that you don't pick up if you don't read Acts 6 with, with Acts 1-8 in mind. Well, and it's, and it, and it's you clearly... you don't preach the whole book, you, yeah. you lose it. And it's clearly in Acts 6 there, you're see, you've seen this great like momentum of the first hill of the roller coaster just drop. Yeah, and they they have like seen thousands come yeah. to faith, and then what is they get bogged down in six in the good. Mm-hmm. It's good to feed widows. That's the flow of their ministry. They've mm-hmm. been preaching this gospel, and people have been impacted by it. And the members mm-hmm. of their church want to feed mm-hmm. the widows, yeah. the neglected widows, and so that's good. And but the, but, but the, that bogs down the ministry yeah. when that when it takes the people who are are preaching and orchestrating the yeah. Word's ministry in the church, it bogs them down in a lot of those right. tasks that they have to do. So yeah. we should do a podcast on deacons in Acts 6. But the yeah. to kind of our point for today, if you if you jump into Acts 6 and say, we, we've got to talk about deacons this week. Well, where do I, I'm going to go to Acts 6 and talk sure. about deacons. You sure. end up talking about deacons. Yeah. When the main point of Acts 6 is, is that deacons make the word keep going. Right. And you don't pre but you won't preach that. Right. If your only point is just talk about deacons and how we get deacons right. and what deacons do, that's not what Acts six is about. Right, right, right. Um, and so that preaching through the book, a whole book of the Bible, uh, puts you in a place where uh, you understand books as a whole, you understand every passage uh, much better and uh, really guard yourself against. It's like it's like I need the training wheels. Like it just guards me against launching into kind of a topical, my own thought, my own perspective. You know, accidentally, isogetically studying and preaching a passage because I thought we need to answer a question this week. Right. It guards you against that. 
Um, even if your heart might be in the right place, your desire is for your church, you're burdened to answer you know, questions that are asked, you, you find yourself uh, saying, saying things that Act 6 doesn't actually intend for you to say. Or, or other or other revel- passages in Revelation. I mean, it's that's been a constant help to me in Revelation. I can't imagine just jumping into Revelation 17. Right. Jumping into Revelation 13 about the beast and going, I just got to figure out. You immediately go to the commentaries, and then you're just you're 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 in a spin zone. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. Yeah. Trying to do that. Um. And it, 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 yeah. Now there are places for that, mm-hmm. places for answering questions. With, I mean, systematic theologies yeah. are written specifically with that kind of task, yeah. right? Systematizing yeah. all of the different things. What does the Bible say about the sovereignty of God? What does the Bible say about the Trinity? What yeah. does the Bible say about um, mm-hmm. salvation? What does the Bible? I mean. Basically, that's a systematic theology, right? Mm-hmm. It's tracking down scriptures and says, well, mm-hmm. we know this about God from this passage. Mm-hmm. We know this about God from this passage. Is that bad? Mm-hmm. I mean, are systematic theologies helpful? Sounds like another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say the answer is not no, obviously. I mean, systematic theology from Wayne Grudem. Because I mean, uh, uh, to be honest, let me just insert this yeah. before you answer. If we don't take Act 6... And we don't go, okay, well, what is the formation of mm-hmm. deacons? And what, let's just say as an example, then we don't really have it anywhere. We get a character assessment of the deacons in, in 1 Timothy 3, 8 and following. Mm-hmm. And then you get a mention of deacons in Philippians 1. Yeah, maybe Phoebe in Romans 16. Maybe Phoebe in Romans 16. And then, but then you really don't have any other basis. You just yeah. have this group. Who are these deacons? I and, you, to, and see, we're getting into the part. You're sucking me in here, man. <laughs> the and it, and at some point that becomes my point. Yeah. Like we have made it as if there's all this about, and there's actually very little. You're right. And that makes us afraid, uh, potentially, because it we feel like we don't have any authority to act on if it doesn't say anything about it. Right. Um, we're actually, I think, more things in regards to deacons are given to wisdom uh, and necessity than we might think. But, um, but all those things said, yeah, I mean, certainly systematic theology has helped me tremendously. I think it's a good help. It's a wonderful help to be able to open up to a systematic theology and look up the subject of demonology and see what's there in the Bible, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, without just reading the whole Bible this week mm-hmm. and looking for demonology. Um, but it doesn't answer all your questions. Right. And it doesn't do the work of context in each chapter. Uh, it, it has its issues. Um, so, yeah, preaching through books of the Bible actually helps you uh, guard against those kinds of things as well. Um, but it is interesting that, that, that there, there seems to be a balance between the two. Paul even commends to the, the Philippians, or he says that what he's praying for them is that their love would abound more and more in knowledge mm-hmm. and all discernment mm-hmm. meaning that it seems to be that love could abound potentially yeah. apart from knowledge and discernment and it be it go askew yeah. and knowledge could abound apart from love and discernment and it could go askew mm-hmm. um, but the three working together the application of knowledge and love the knowledge growing in love mm-hmm. um, that all of those things are tremendously important for us to keep in mind with the word and there's a balance to the diet 
there is uh, the mm-hmm. regular everyday let's read the word and let's let it transform us mm-hmm. let's read it and for the purpose of transformation mm-hmm. but but that can't be also at the at the um, expense of understanding what's written there mm-hmm. what do we believe about the trinity what is it mm-hmm. you know what what do we say about it what can we actually say about it can we actually understand this at all mm-hmm. you know those kinds of things yeah. those are not bad questions and yeah. they should be talked about and they should be yeah. uncovered and i think it you know on my own this may be a little bit off topic too but my one of my own um pet peeves maybe or things that just drives me nuts mm-hmm. about the church sometimes is that we we don't have an avenue often where people can really just ask questions that are like really Mm -hmm. hard and Mm -hmm. and you know that that we kind of just sort of open ourselves up to Mm -hmm. ask a really hard question that i may not know the answer to Mm -hmm. and let's see what the word says and then let's think about it some more and maybe i have to come back next week or whatever but you're so much more humble than me. I, I just tend to think I could answer any question. <laughs> <laughs> I've been humiliated multiple times. Before. I'm trying to learn. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, well, but, you know, I think to your, to your point here that a lot of questions that people have are not new questions. Right. And like the, I mean, the part of what, you know, us being pastors, we've mm-hmm. sort of, most of our lives have been yeah. dedicated to to this, and a lot of the questions that people have, we've asked. So here's something I would say to you. I don't know if you're going somewhere. I'm going to cut you off from your point, but I'm going nowhere. When you, you. <laughs> I'm going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> when you here's what I found: when you preach through books of the Bible, you find that often the Bible is answering questions we didn't even know we should be asking. Yeah. Of course. I got plenty of questions about marriage and the end times and all, all these things, but then the Bible raises up and it holds up these things as way more important than the question I was going to ask. Yeah. And it and it really, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation really harps on our separateness from God, Jesus dying on the cross, Washing away our sin so that we can be brought back to God, mm-hmm. like it it holds that up higher than all of our other questions and concerns. But I think too, like a lot of our interpersonal issues, a lot of our our, our the issues that we have, like man, I really want you know, as mar- we've been using marriage as an example. I, I really want to improve my marriage, yeah. and what you find the way that the the New Testament or the way the Bible addresses that, mm-hmm. you know, you come to Matthew six where he says, you know, um, put the, the the values of the kingdom of heaven above all things, and all these things will be added to you. Mm-hmm. And then you get to uh, him dealing with forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You you for, forgive others as I have forgiven you. He says that in the Lord's prayer, and then he comes mm-hmm. back to it after the Lord's prayer. Yeah. If you don't forgive others, your sins won't be forgiven you. You get to eighteen where he where he deals with uh, the parable at the very end, 20, I think it's 21 to 35, where he, yeah. he deals with the, uh, the the person, the parable of the person being forgiven this massive debt and then turning around and not forgiving the others. So the way Matthew addresses well, your marriage or any other interpersonal relationship is build it on grace. You have been given this massive amount of grace from the Lord in forgiveness of sin turn and forgive others equally. Mm-hmm. 
And that is your task mm-hmm. as a Christian to put the king, the values of the kingdom of heaven above everything else. And part of what that means is you're mm-hmm. going to, you, you have been forgiven much, so you're going to forgive much. Mm-hmm. And does that radically transform your marriage mm-hmm. when you look at the person across from you and mm-hmm. say, you know, I can't really hold you responsible for mm-hmm. your sins, you, and, and nor you me. Mm-hmm. You know, because we're we're sinners forgiven by God this immense, immense amount. Mm-hmm. And so you what you find, and that's just an example, but you, what you find is that the the way that the the book itself is addressing all those things is actually in a uh, 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 being heavenly minded. Mm-hmm. It's like encouraging you to take your mind to Christ and that, being the transformation to the marriages or the whatever other sermon series mm-hmm. might be created out there or might need to be created. Mm-hmm. The Bible's way of addressing those is, is much different and much yeah. more permanent. Yeah. And what you find too, like you you find you're, you're preaching through Proverbs and you talk about finances or you're preaching through Colossians and you're talking about forgiveness. You're, you're, all these things apply to marriage. Yeah, I mean the whole Bible applies to marriage, right? David's life applies to marriage, um, so it, it's not like there's the uh, there's the parenting passages, You're right? And there's the marriage passages, and there's the government passages. Um, it, it, that the Bible doesn't work like that. So I you, I've found often where you know I'm working through what are my applications going to be this week, and I find out this thing that's in Revelation really helps parents deal with this thing that's going on in the culture. But I would have never thought, where am I going to find some good tips for our parents for parenting this week? <laughs> Turn to Revelation 18. Revelation 13 is the first thing that comes to mind. No, not... Here's the beast. Not uh, at all. Uh, but it turns out to be that it, as you go through it, it actually does apply that way. I've got, you know, single men and women in our church. What's the, what's the passage for singleness? I mean, it's just it, it's right. every week, right? And so, but you, me, but you, but people would go to Paul's uh, rec- not only recognition, but yeah, which everyone was single, yeah, yeah, yeah. First Corinthians seven stuff like that. Just really, I mean, which stinks if you're single. Yeah, you get boiled down to First Corinthians seven or something yeah. like that. Um, <laughs> when the whole Bible has a lot to say uh, to so so many situations. Um, so yeah, it, I, the the more I talk about it today, and the more I've preached that way over the years the more preaching through a bible it so often gets thought first maybe maybe i say so often like i talk about all the time but i think on 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 your first reaction would be that sounds so constraining yeah you know and you're you maybe you're even constraining the holy spirit because you've just determined your preaching calendar for the next year so i think I, i can't i could not disagree more that it's actually so freeing yeah to talk about Because you don't things. have to come up with church graphics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's clever every titles. four weeks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't there's have to nothing do that makes alliteration me, every I, week. There's nothing that makes me more nervous than coming up with a sermon series. I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, it just, I am just not that creative. Oh, uh, yeah. But it, it's like you, you're, 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 you're really free to talk about all of it. Yeah, and the other thing is this: you what? What if you show up one day and go, just a random Sunday, and you're going to talk about tithing this week? 
and everyone goes, oh my gosh, well, the pastor has a chip on his shoulder after that last, you know, budget report. Yeah. You know? Oh, we're talking about marriage? That's why he must, that's because he was talking to this couple about marriage last week, and now he's going to preach to the whole church about it, you know? Oh, he's preaching about judgment because Russia invaded. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm already preaching through Revelation, so I've got some connections to maybe global events. No one gets to say or have the opportunity to say, wow, the pastor just really wanted to preach that. That He just picked it mm-hmm. because he had something to say this week, and he couldn't say it in a members meeting or to someone personally. Well, and why would you ever teach on divorce? Yeah. If, if, I mean, because honestly, who wants to pick that fight? Yeah. You know? Well, the Bible does. Yeah. The Bible wants to address all the topics. Yeah. Nothing is off the table. Right. And so if the Bible sets the agenda, then I'm free to say, look, this is obviously what it says. Mm-hmm. This is not me coming to the table saying, mm-hmm. I'm here to, to discuss this particular thing today. Yeah. Tithing or giving or whatever it is, or whatever may be the case, divorce, whatever yeah. this case is, you know, singleness. It's yeah. it's the Bible setting the agenda. Yeah. And I'm and it puts the pastor under the word too, right? That yeah, I, I'm I'm not above it, wielding yeah. it like it's a sword. Yeah, I'm being pierced by it. Yeah, first, and I and I think that has to be the. I mean, it, it's it's my prayer week in and week out, mm-hmm. or at least I hope it is, week in and week out. Um, yeah, I'm obviously human, and that's mm. not always the case, I'm sure. But, um, but week in and week out is that I want to be pierced by this first. Mm-hmm. before I ever preach it to anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if people come up to me afterwards and they yeah. say that was convicting, yeah. I mean, they need to know, like, Praise that God. came from conviction. That yeah. what did, it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't my intention, nor do I have the ability to convict you. Yeah. You know, that it is... it certainly takes a lot of the glory away from the pastor. Yeah. If, if there was ever any, in the beginning, you know, to, to talk about it all, when you're, Preaching through the books of the Bible, you don't. No one gets to congratulate a pastor for coming up with something, yeah, or clever. for putting something together, or being, yeah, being clever, or you have good call talking about that this week. Or there, there's none of that. You're, it's like how, you know, the the chef is back in the kitchen, right, bringing out the meal, and the pastor is just the server getting it from the kitchen to the table, right. Yeah. We, we're we're giving you the word and the meal itself. God's word itself is all the glory. So the more ways that you can get yourself out of the equation so that people are loving the word. Yeah. Right? Uh, I, I think that's a that's one of the uh, the pluses of preaching through scripture <clears throat> is people are they're they're knowing I'm coming every week and we're getting the word. Yeah. We're getting Matthew, we're getting Revelation, we're getting Colossians, we're getting whatever. And that that's the whole agenda. There's no there's no need for some committee to come up with some plan. Right. It's, that's it. We're coming for the word. And if you don't want to come for that, well, you already know. That's what you're getting for the next 17 weeks. Right. Or at my church, the next four weeks until we do a series. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. So I think, too, it, it says a lot about people that are that are following us, that you, you're here, obviously, this week. Someone mm-hmm. is filling in for you mm-hmm. in the pulpit, mm-hmm. and you mentioned to me <coughs> even earlier our very able associate pastor. Yeah, Phil. that yeah. that you had full confidence Absolutely. that he was able to deliver the word, mm-hmm. and so it's like, but but the but he's teaching Revelation, isn't that right? <laughs> he is. Yeah. So so there he's picking up where you left off. Mm-hmm. 
and because Revelation is not your book. Right. It's not like Nathan is setting the agenda for Revelation. Yep. Yep. Um, and Nathan is the one teaching it. Only Nathan could possibly understand Revelation. Right, right, right. Yeah. This is no. I, mean, I barely understand it myself. Right. So we're we're <laughs> that's obvious. We're just asking. <laughs> we're we're just coming. We're coming week in and week out to hear the the next bit of this book mm-hmm. communicated to us, distilled down for us you know, fed to us and it's going to edify us, whether it's from Nathan's mouth or whether it's from Absolutely. Your, your associate's mouth or, Absolutely. or, you know, my mouth or Jeremy's mouth or Tom's yep. mouth, whatever. Yep. And so what we've got here is we're, we're walking through the word of God. That's, mm-hmm. that's our purpose. That's what we're doing. And mm-hmm. it seems like even if you want to go back to Acts 6, that's what they're setting the purpose as. Mm-hmm. The purpose of the church mm-hmm. is to minister the word. That is that is the heartbeat. It, it, it of is it. a great comfort. So being here at Tuscaloosa with you this week, uh, we have our first Sunday prayer on Sunday evening. We have so we've got building block service Sunday evening prayer, and there's teaching and songs and prayer and all of those. And I have just been so encouraged this week at the. That's gonna be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So about ten people, who are. Praying, teaching, reading, more, more than 10, singing songs, leading in songs, facilitating prayer, and I won't even be there. Yeah. I mean, it's so wonderful. Uh, I just, if, you know, if I were just to, you know, die, the Lord take me home next week, the church, I hope would be sad for a minute, but, (laughs) you know, like the next Sunday, guess what? The word's going to get preached. Yeah. And taught, and yep. God's going to be worshipped in song. It will continue. And, yeah. And, again, just preaching through books of the Bible is just another way of showing, like, there's just no special preachers. Yeah. Like, it really is the Word itself that we're coming for. Yeah. Uh, that's all we have to, that's really all we have to offer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In terms of preaching and teaching. Which which could even go into tons of other topics of celebrity preachers and mm-hmm. the culture of, of celebrity sure. in, in the church. Which is in the Bible. And, and, I mean, that, that's a biblical problem. Yeah. First Corinthians 1. It has been going on for 2,000 years for sure. Yep. And it has been preached against for 2,000 years yeah, for sure. I, I think preaching through books of the Bible, it, it, if, there, if it has any weight at all, it probably helps against celebrity pastors and preachers yeah um more everything than it becomes regular it. everything becomes regular mm-hmm. this is just what we do yeah yeah we do we're doing um on once a month we do a thing here where we just meet for lunch mm-hmm. and people and everybody in the church is invited yeah and we uh have lunch and, and we just go through a passage and we talk about breaking it down studying it what questions we need to ask how we understand the meaning of this passage how it comes to the fore and a lot of Simeon Trust principles and things like that that are applied to that situation. And and um, and all my whole goal in all of that is just to remove some of the mystique from preparing a sermon. Mm-hmm. You know, from ever looking at the pastor and going, how does he do that? Yeah. To, you can do this too. This is, yeah. every Christian has the ability to open the Bible and read it and yeah. understand it. Yeah. And understand the meaning that the author intended for you. To, you just have to open your eyes yeah. to the passage itself and ask ask questions. Ask good questions mm-hmm. and watch how it answers those questions. Mm-hmm. 
And, um, and so I think that's part of, you know, what we're talking about now is Mm -hmm. just giving ourselves to the word, putting ourselves under it, letting it teach us and be the one that informs us, I think is the, the, the goal. Amen. So, all right, man. Well, preach well this weekend. We're we're all judging you. I'm looking forward to it. All right, man. Thanks for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast. Thank you.